As Nora said, it's good to see everybody this evening. It really is. We're going to uh, continue in this series asking, uh, well, just I titled it A Guide to Help Decide. And what I've tried to bring across in this particular series is we are continually faced with decisions, sometimes questions, but decisions we have to make as to how, you know, should I take this next action or how should I take this next action or, or is this something that a Christian ought to be doing or whatever. As Christians, we want to stay true to our Christian character, at least we should. So we want to be an example, not only to those around us, other fellow Christians, our family members, but we want to be an example to those who have yet become Christians. Even some, you know, who may be atheists or agnostics or skeptics. We want to be the right example to everybody around us and before everybody that we possibly can influence. We want to do that in a positive and a Christian way. So we have to make these decisions. Not every decision that confronts us in life has a thus says the Lord before it. This you should do, this you should not do. We face situations that are not specifically spelled out in Scripture, but they are covered by some broad principles that I've tried to lay out for us in trying to come to understand how do we decide? How do we decide? Well, again, feelings alone are not a safe guide. All kinds of people, they rely upon feelings a whole lot in making decisions, in determining courses through their life, courses of direction, and they find out somewhere down the road, uh, made a mistake there. We've all probably, if we drive, we've made a wrong turn, we felt like that was the right way to go, but somewhere down the road, we came to realize I turned wrong. I gotta go back and you know, uh, correct my route here. And, and so that's just a rather trite example but we make decisions that, that can have a, an impact upon our life. And so we need to know, how do I make the right decision? It can't be just feelings again. In Matthew 15 and verse 19, for out of the heart, or a lot of people would equate that to what feels right to me, what feels good. I feel like this is the right decision. I feel like this would be good for me or good for my family. And again, so many times after we act upon our feelings, and that basically we're talking about our heart, our conscience, well, we find out later, I just reacted to my feelings and I made a mistake. How many times do we advise people, well, what feels right for you? How do you feel about it? Or what does your heart say? You know, and, and basically we're, we're talking about the same thing there. Well, Jesus said, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. So we can't just rely upon our feelings, our emotions. We have to understand that part that we call our heart when it comes to determining courses of direction and action in our lives. That's not just feelings. So it can't be just feelings. So how do we decide? Well, we've looked at three different basic broad principles that God has laid out for us in scripture that I think really 
help us. Now, when I, when I first started doing this, this lesson, I don't know how many years ago, I stopped after these first three. I, I said, you know, first it needs to be, can you do this in the name of the Lord? And then second, I said, you know, can you do this in the glory of God? And then third, can you do this in faith? Can you have confidence that this is something you can ask God's blessings upon? Is this something that if you take this action, if you go in this direction, you make this particular decision, is it not going to violate your faith? And so those are three basic broad principles and they're good ones. But then I've added some to those. Number four, will this be an unnecessary stumbling block to others around you, particularly to younger maybe less spiritually mature Christians. I'm afraid that a lot of times we don't think about that. When we're deciding, should I do this? Should I go here? Should I take part in this action or this practice or this activity? Should I go to this party? Should I take this particular, should I make this particular decision in my life? I'm afraid that probably most of the time we don't really give much thought, if any thought, to could this affect one of my brothers and sisters in Christ who is not as mature spiritually? They're not as grounded in God's word. They, they don't know the scriptures as well as I do, so they haven't come to understand some of the more deeper matters of, of, of principle that, that God lays out for us. Maybe even they don't understand some of the, the weightier matters of doctrine yet. They're still learning. They're still growing. Well, we need to understand that we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, the apostle Paul wrote this, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. We need to be careful not to be puffed up. I want us to go a little bit further here. Now, the principle that is taught within this text. Now, if you're familiar with this text of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13, you might say, well, wait a minute, that's talking about eating food that has been offered to idols. What does that have to do with wounding a weaker brother or sister's conscience or maybe weakening their faith or at least, you know, kind of throwing a roadblock before them because of an action that you're taking or a decision that you've made. What does that have to do with that? It's the principle within this text that we want to understand. And that principle is, could a weaker, less spiritually mature Christian, either a brother or sister, misinterpret your action and then be weakened in their faith and actually fall into sin. Maybe their faith would be hurt, would be damaged because they see you doing something that they have not yet come to understand. So could a weaker, less spiritually mature Christian misinterpret your action, your decision, and be weakened in their faith and fall into sin? I'm afraid we probably most of the time, almost all of the time, don't even think about that. We just go ahead and make our decision. And because we say, I, I know what the scriptures teach, I know that this is okay, but maybe 
for another person, they haven't quite reached that level of maturity from a spiritual perspective. Now, let me share an illustration with you. So again, can I do this to God's glory? Can I do this in the name of the Lord? Can I do this and ask God's blessings upon my decision? And then this one, will it be an unnecessary, an unnecessary stumbling block to others? Now, sometimes some people are, they're just going to take exception with you no matter what you do, basically. Even, even if you say, look, this is something that has to be done. And the scriptures, you know, they condone this, basically. Well, I don't think so. Well, okay. Somewhere along the line, you've got to draw a line. But, but what about for that one who is innocent in this situation? They're not being hard-headed. They're not being narrow-minded. They're just innocent. They just haven't quite reached that level of maturity yet from, from a spiritual perspective. Let me share with you an illustration. I, when I was preaching in another state many, many years ago, there, were, there was a lady in the congregation who had grown up in the Catholic Church. She grew up in the Catholic Church practicing every Friday not to eat meat. That was the way she grew up. That was her life in that particular regard. She, she did not believe that she should be eating meat on Friday because that was a tenant of the Catholic Church at that particular time. I don't know if they still believe that or still push that or not, but that was the way it was back then, you know, uh, close to 40 years ago. And so she had been taught the gospel. She had come to understand the error of her way, and she had left the Catholic Church and been baptized into Christ. She shared with me sometime after that, that that first Friday after she had been baptized, that she dared to eat a sandwich, maybe a bologna sandwich, she said, you know, that just got bigger and bigger in my mouth. I just kept, kept chewing it. I, you know, she understood there was nothing wrong with her eating that, that sandwich, that meat on Friday. She understood the, the error, the misapplication of, of, of what she had been taught growing up throughout her life, all the way into considerable adulthood by that time. But she said, you know, I was so, it, it was such a, a matter of, of faith for me, basically is what she was saying, for all of my life, that that first Friday that I, I ate a bologna sandwich, I, I think that might have been what it was, but some meat, I, I had a hard time swallowing it. Now, she got past that, and she was a good cook, by the way. She got past that, but that first time, see, she was still struggling with her spiritual maturity. She had just become a Christian. Okay, so we need to understand where people are, and we need to care about where people are in their spiritual growth and development. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, I want us to begin here. And look at this particular text in some detail. Now, we could look at a, a number of different texts of Scripture, but I'll give you some parallels that you can look up on your own, and you can study through those, and you'll see the principle is played out, maybe with a different application or two along the line, but the principle is, is, is what's really there. So, verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And then look at this last statement in this verse. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It's important for our, Christian, for our Christian life, for our Christianity, 
it's important that we are careful that, and this is what one, one of the points Paul is trying to bring out in this text, that we don't become arrogant in our knowledge and callous toward a brother or sister in Christ who has not grown to our level of knowledge in Scripture. And so, have you ever been around somebody? Look at it from a secular perspective or maybe just an educational perspective. Have you ever been around somebody who thought he or she was the smartest person in the room and they let you know it over and over again? They're always correcting you. They're always, they're always pointing fingers at themselves because how smart they thought they were, how much they thought they knew. Not very pleasant to be around that kind of person, is it? And you, you recognize that person just being arrogant, haughty, big-headed. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. Okay, you have grown in your knowledge of God's word. You have studied it. We talk about all the time how faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And you have grown in your faith, your knowledge, your strength, your understanding, your spiritual maturity, but don't let that make you arrogant to the point that you're callous or uncaring or unthoughted about somebody else who you might offend in their faith because you're not even considering them. Well, they ought to know better than that. Well, no, not necessarily. When a person is baptized into Christ, they're just coming out of the starting block. They're beginning a whole new spiritual life, and they've got a lot of learning to do and a lot of growing and maturing to do. So we need to be careful not to be puffed up. And, and notice, love edifies. What did Jesus command on the night of his betrayal? that he said was a new commandment, John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another, that the world may know or believe that, that uh, God sent me, that, that he's the Savior, that he's the, the, the Lord. You love one another as I've loved you, he's going to be on the cross the next day for them, for all of humanity. So, you exhibit that same kind of love for one another, my faithful followers, as I have exhibited and will exhibit for you, that the world may know that God has sent me as the Savior. And I'm paraphrasing some there. So we need to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not, that's not a suggestion. That's not open for our approval or disapproval, that is a commandment from our Lord and we need to exhibit that love toward one another. And so if we just kind of brush away somebody else's feelings who have not reached the level of spiritual understanding and maturity that we have and are just callous toward them, well, they ought to know better. Well, no, not necessarily. Then how could we say we're exhibiting that kind of love? being arrogant instead. So knowledge puffs up. If we let it, if we get the big head over how much we know, how long we've been a Christian, the things we've done as a Christian, if we're not careful, we'll let that puff us up. We'll let that make us arrogant and we'll become uncaring about our weaker younger brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need to be on guard against that. We move on. 
doctrinally, there are absolutes, no question about it. But newer, younger, in the faith, Christians require time and patience to learn these truths. I remember either hearing somebody talking about or, or reading an article or something about an elder, I believe, within the Lord's church, and, and there, was a young, there was a man who had just become a Christian. He was, I think, maybe something of a mechanic, and so they had a, a bus in their ministry where they'd pick people up for services, and the elder came over one day, and he found the, this, this man working on one of the buses there. And as he walked up to the bus, he saw that the man had set a can of beer on the first step in the bus, I believe. Now, that elder could have chewed that brother out. On church property, you're working on a church bus and you've got a can of beer sitting on the front step, right out there for anybody to see who walks by. But instead, he just took the brother inside the church building, sat down with him, talked to him, and, and studied with him about it. He didn't let his knowledge puff him up. He didn't act arrogantly toward the, toward the man. He taught him. He was patient with him. And so that was a great lesson for that man. Sometimes we can exhibit arrogance without even realizing it or meaning to, but it's just the way we act. So we need to be careful. Now, verse 4, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Paul says, look, we understand that. There is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, I believe it is. Or maybe chapter 4, I believe. And so uh, we know that. But Paul says, but now, understand and in that particular time in in as the gospel was being spread throughout the known world almost everyone were idol worshipers they did not know in fact probably the vast majority did not even know about god and so they were being taught and so a whole lot of the new christians had come out of that false religious belief in statues and images and carvings that they looked upon and prayed to as gods, lowercase g, from our understanding and perspective. And so Paul says, concerning things offered to idols, we know an idol is nothing. And so there's only one God. We know that. We understand that. Verse 6, he goes on and he says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. Now you can make the parallel to that. Genesis chapter 1, the creation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all there in the creation. And then he all, you can also look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Jesus was there and nothing was made with, that was made without him. So we know, Paul says, we know that there is one God and he is the creator of all things. And there is one Lord, one Savior, Jesus Christ, and through, through whom we live. Well, then we move on to verses 7 and 8. He goes on and he says, however... Now, that's a transition word 
in the communication here. However, there, are, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Sometimes we think, well, so-and-so ought to know this. Maybe they should, but they may not. And they may let us know by their, by their way of reacting to what we're saying. I, I have taught different times in, in circles of Christians and Christians who had been Christians for a considerable period of time and come to understand by expressions and questions and reactions that what I thought should have been basic knowledge for them about Christianity, about the church, about doctrine, it wasn't. They did not necessarily have that understanding that I thought, well, you've been Christians for maybe 10 years. You ought to know this stuff. This ought to be basic to you. But it was not. They were learning. And so Paul says there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat or are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. And so understand that for that idol worshiper in his past life before he became a Christian, before he learned about the one true God, meat that had been offered to idols in the temples of those idols, then it would be commonly sold in the marketplace and it would be understood by those idol worshipers that that had religious significance to them as they bought it and fixed it and ate it. It had spiritual meaning to them, connected to their worship of and belief in that idol to whom it was offered or to what it was offered. Well, Paul says you need to understand now, just think about that lady again. She had grown up believing, having been taught, and then practicing that it was a sin to eat meat on Friday. And when she came to learn the basic message, that's not a sin. She understood that, she accepted it, but she still had a problem with it. Still had a problem with it. Well, Paul says, understand you, you know, have compassion on your new, weaker, or maybe in some cases, as I kind of indicated, it might be somebody who's been a Christian for 10 or 12 years, but they still haven't grown spiritually in the knowledge of God's word as they probably should have. Paul talks about that in the closing verses of Hebrews chapter 5 and the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 6. For when for when the time had come that you should have been teachers yourself, you need to, somebody to teach you again the first principles, the basic, the basic doctrines of Christianity. And so Paul says, you've got these new brothers and sisters and a whole lot of them in the church. There is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol. They still have that connection and their conscience being weak is defiled. 
but food does not commend us to God. So Paul's saying, look, if they see you, do you understand? We understand. I can buy this ham. I can buy this, you know, side of beef, whatever it might be in the marketplace. So what if it was offered to an idol? An idol's nothing. I understand that. I can have it and it's going to be nourishment to my body. I can feed my family with it. Paul says, but if you're doing that in the sight or the knowledge of one of your Gentile brothers or sisters who just became a Christian, who just came out of that idolatry, if they see that you doing that as an act of worship to that idol, they can be confused. You can defile their conscience through your action. And so he says, take them into account be cognizant of their, their concern, their confusion right now. And if you need to forego eating that meat, forego. Don't eat it. Have a peanut butter sandwich, we would say. Maybe jelly with that too. And, and so just, just understand, don't, don't destroy their faith through your knowledge and liberty that your knowledge has led you into. Understanding an idol is nothing. We can make the application on a much broader scale than that. And so, you know, whatever it is that we've come to understand, well, this, this is nothing. There's nothing wrong with this. Again, the lady eating that bologna sandwich on that Friday, shortly after she had become a Christian, we could tell her, There's nothing wrong with that. She understood that, but it still bothered her. Now she came out of that. She grew spiritually, and that was no longer a problem for her. But we need to be cognizant. We need to be conscious of where our brothers and sisters are and not do something unnecessarily, unnecessarily, that might cause them to stumble, if we know that that might cause them to stumble. We move a little further here. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 again. As we mentioned earlier, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we can help that person grow in their faith and knowledge if we'll help them get into God's word, if we'll continue to teach them. That may help them, well, that will help them to come out of that old belief system that we want to help them understand that's, that's no longer the valid belief system that you ought to be living by. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 9 now. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours. Now think about the person maybe who had been an idol worshiper. And they came to understand the truth about God and Christ and Christianity and the gospel. And they had given that up. And it had been two or three years since they had become a Christian. And they had been diligent students of God's word. Think about the people of Berea. And they had grown strong in their faith. But now they're with a new Christian or maybe a group of new Christians who had just become Christians. They just came out of that old belief system of worshiping idols. And now they're kind of puffed up. They say, well, you, 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 know, you, know, you know, you need to just give that up. There's nothing wrong with eating meat offered to an idol. It's sold in the marketplace. It's just meat. An idol's nothing. No, he says, you be aware. You be 
considerate. You be compassionate toward that one. So beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, eating meat offered to an idol, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? You might, you might influence that person to think, well, there must, not, there must be nothing wrong. It must be okay to, to eat meat that's offered to an idol and think that that's a religious experience, that I'm still connected to worshiping that idol some way. Because that Christian over there, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they're eating that meat. Now again, Beware. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Well, let's go a little bit further. Verses 12 and 13. But when you thus sin against the brethren, and this is a pivotal point in Paul's discourse in this context of Scripture, to not be compassionate to when you know that it might cause that brother or sister to stumble and you just show no concern about that whatsoever and you do it anyway and it causes them to stumble in their faith. Paul identifies that as sinning against those brethren. When you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So we're not talking about a a small matter here. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, Paul says, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now he's using what we call hyperbole there, purposeful exaggeration for the sake of emphasis. But he says, I don't want to do anything that might make my brother to stumble. Now again, you have to become realistic in, in, in some cases. If somebody's just, you know, cantankerous, if they're just, you know, they're, they're always, you know, objecting to something, it, it, you have to come to a point where you, you get real and tell them you need to get real. But if it's a true case, they just don't understand. They just haven't grown spiritually. But they want to grow. Then Paul says, I don't want to do anything that might cause them to stumble. Now, parallel texts, you can read in Romans chapter 14, verses 14 through 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 33. The application, the particulars are a little different, but the principle is exactly the same. Now, do not under unnecessarily jeopardize the faith of a Christian brother and sister who is weak spiritually weak in their faith, but they're growing. They want to grow. In Romans chapter 14, verses 12 and 13, Paul wrote, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not, not, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Let's resolve this, he says. You have a responsibility toward your Christian brothers and sisters. Now, that may bother some of us. They ought to be growing themselves. They're responsible for their own faith. Read again this text of Scripture. Read again Romans 14, verses 14 through 21. Read again 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 through 33. Don't ignore what Paul is, is, is very pointedly and clearly getting across here. 
So you have a responsibility toward your Christian brothers and sisters. How do you treat them? Again, well, I love them all. Do you talk to all of them? Do you avoid them on purpose? How do you think about that? We need to stop and think. We need to stop and think. You have that responsibility. You don't want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and having crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's in all of the doctrinal texts of Scripture and then have the Lord say, but you were callous toward your weak, weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. You ignored them. You stayed away from them. You didn't want to have anything to do with them for whatever reason. And you didn't take the time to try to reach out and love them and maybe help them. Well, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. We're called to liberty. We're set free from the guilt of sin through the gospel of Christ, through his death on the cross for us, as we're baptized into him for the remission of our sins. Only do not let this liberty, do not, do not use this liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And see, a lot of times I think we have something of a repulsiveness, you know, in our thought process. I don't want to serve someone else. Think about what it is to be a Christian now. Jesus served us. He told the apostles in the night of his betrayal, I came to serve, not to be served. If that's his example, then we need to pick up that example ourselves, don't we? For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. If we would want somebody to have compassion on us in a situation where we needed somebody to help us in our faith, then we need to have that same compassion on others as well. Look at this stern warning from our Lord himself. Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. Whoever causes one of the least of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man or that person by whom the offense comes. We need to think of the spiritual welfare of our fellow Christians. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23. All things are lawful for me, Paul said, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify or build up my fellow Christians. So Paul said, I have become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. We need to care about others. Care enough to go out of our way. Maybe this evening you're thinking about some changes of thinking. Maybe some changes of action. 
Maybe you need to go to God in prayer and ask for his wisdom and guidance. Please guide me. I have to continually self-reflect upon my thinking. And I continually pray to God, please help me to keep a good, positive mindset and attitude and outlook in the way I think and speak and conduct myself. And I have to think about how is what I'm doing affecting somebody else or how might it affect somebody else? Do I need to stop before I speak out and rethink how I put my words before I speak? If you need to pray to God, don't be too proud to do that. Don't be arrogant. Pray to God for forgiveness, for strength, for wisdom, for guidance. If you're at the point where you need to be baptized into Christ, then we encourage you to take that step this evening. And we'd love to pray with you and for you if that's what you would like. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing.